Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Thursday, 7 o'clock. I'm your host, Drew DeArmond. Of course, with the wizard, Thomas Watts, who's producer and co-host extraordinaire. And we'll be joined uh, by the third amigo, uh, William Redfish Barger, later in hour number one. But a lot of basketball uh, to be talked today as the NBA draft is off and running. We're four picks in uh, to the first round. Uh, Some definite intrigue with uh, the third pick, Ben Simmons, of course, of LSU goes number one overall to the Philadelphia 76ers. To no surprise, Brandon Ingram, part of my Duke Blue Devils, number two pick to the Los Angeles Lakers. The third pick, a lot of people thought it would be Chris Dunn of Providence, maybe involved in a trade to Philadelphia, uh, but it was not. Jalen Brown, the small forward from the, the Cal Berkeley, uh, is, uh, went uh, number three overall, and now number four, Dragon Bender, your first uh, uh, you know European player, Uh, from Croatia. He goes fourth overall to the Phoenix Suns. Now the Minnesota Timberwolves are on the clock, but the NBA draft off and running, and we're hoping uh, as the Bama Nation tonight to to see the the end of a a remarkable journey as uh, Retno Basahan, the guard for the University of Alabama, is uh, there is uh, watching in Tuscaloosa with his family who's flown in from Belgium, hoping to be selected tonight, and we're going to follow this draft throughout this two hours. More than likely, for of course, for Retton, it will be in round number two. But what a story it would be should he be selected, Thomas Watts. Oh, absolutely. And it would be, like you said, a culmination in many ways. I, I think if you had held a gun to uh, our head this time last year, we'd have been very, you know, uh, how do, I'm sorry, I'm doing too many things. Uh, I think we would have been surprised to even think that Retno Bosson would be in this position. But even with most second-round selections going to the D-League or really having to work their way onto the bench of an NBA roster, Retno Bazan's got a shot. He was consistently Alabama's best player throughout the year. So Yeah, we'll he see. was. He was amazing and, you know, had a chance to speak with him on Talking Ball uh, this afternoon, uh, you know, uh, to end the program. And, of course, we're going to be we're going to bring you that audio here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, what a great young man he is, a class act. And, much like yourself, Thomas, very good academician as well, and uh, did the job in the classroom and uh, was a class representative of Alabama and really has had a remarkable journey uh, in the last 12 months because not many had him on the radar of the NBA uh, 12 months ago, but nobody would be surprised now. I mean, he may have to begin the journey in the D-League, but I I am not going to be surprised if one day we see him suit up in an NBA game. I agree. And you can see some guys, like, look at the story of Alonzo G. 
he yes. worked through the G- he, through the D League, excuse me, and now he's been around the league for a good few years now and made a decent career out of it. Yeah, he really has. He's uh, at some point in time he's he's been called maybe the most improved player in the league and really uh, has uh, really made, forged an excellent career for himself. And just you have to give Alonzo G a lot of credit. And the last Alabama player to be selected in the NBA draft, 2007. Uh, Richard Hendricks, who also played with him, now he's playing overseas. But you can still have an outstanding career. And regardless, if Bretton doesn't get selected tonight, uh, he still will either have a chance to probably sign with a D-League team or go overseas. And uh, he's not going to you know, give up his journey. He realizes he's going to have to work his way up. But he had to do the same at Alabama. He was really an unheralded recruit uh, coming out of Antwerp, Belgium, and spent five years in the program and uh, was recruited by the previous staff. Uh, by Anthony Grant and those guys, and really, uh, and, uh, and, and and you know, and really was signed by Alabama sight unseen, and uh, it, it just uh, you know, but he ended up uh, becoming a very good player. You could tell he had talent uh, from the word go. He just kind of needed it to be developed. And uh, Avery Johnson, I think, was the perfect coach for him. And uh, he kind of talked about that in the interview. And we wanted to bring you that audio right now uh, here to kick off this program uh, tonight. Uh, we wanted to bring you the Retno Basahan interview from earlier today. Honored to be joined on the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline now by from Antwerp, Belgium, and uh, he's be, he's completed a five-year journey with the Tide, and uh, now has his degree in hand and looking to move on to the highest level of basketball, and that's all SEC first-team guard Retno Basahan. Retno, how are you doing this afternoon? Man, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, sir, and. I know this has been uh, just uh, the, even the last 12 months for you. Uh, you finished your junior season so strong in the NIT, and then to have a new coach and, and Avery Johnson uh, come into this program and, and really just really jumpstart your career at Alabama. But I guess, first of all, talk about how the remarkable journey you had this year under Coach Johnson and, and just how he was able to influence you and, uh, and help your career along. Man, that's uh... – <laughs> That might take me a good half hour to get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's it's been it's been nothing short of a blessing. It's it's just been crazy how uh, you know a lot has happened you know in the last twelve months. Um, I know it was I, I think around this time last year that you know we had, you know we started workouts and I was in summer class and I was just getting acclimated to um, you know Coach Johnson's New Orleans accent and <laughs> so uh, but it was it was, it was really cool you know just from the get go. He just knew that he was, you know, a man that was of great intentionality and great leadership. And he knows so much about the game. You just, you can't help but get better under his tutelage. So, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's been, it's been a dream. You know, really, like this last 12 months has just been so, uh, so surreal. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, just adding another memorable memory to it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and you had, uh, and I, it just seemed like from the almost the, the, the very beginning. I know uh, Dazon was on the court with you early, Dazon Ingram, and was putting up good numbers for a freshman. But uh, just from the, from the jump, you you and Coach Johnson uh, with, uh, I, I think he saw a lot of himself in you. 
uh, him being a former point guard in the NBA and uh, playing on that level for so long and being an overachiever. And uh, you've done the same thing coming from a foreign country and, and still being kind of a neophyte to the game of basketball, especially the American style. But you guys just seemed from the very uh, beginning to uh, understand each other. And I know he said covering the team was fascinating this year because he said he rode you hard quite a bit. But you guys just seemed, even though you, he had not recruited you, to almost be like you knew each other in a past life. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, we definitely had a connection and uh it's interesting because um, as soon as Johnson got hired, um, you know, going into my, my first meeting with him, um, I had a, I had a talk with my dad, and my dad was like, um, this is really somebody you could learn a whole lot from. You know, so he's like, just fully emerge under his leadership and be willing to learn everything that you possibly can. So going into my first meeting with Coach Johnson, I, I straight up told him, I said, look, Coach, I believe I'm a pro. Um, I believe you're here for a reason. And... I want you to treat me like one. And because um, I looked at me and said, you sure about that? And I said, yeah, because I won't want any, uh, any other way. And um, he kept his word. And uh, so, yeah, he, he he made it tough on me. You know, he coached me hard. But, uh, you know, just when you look at the season that we had as a team and the season that I had individually, um, you can say, it, uh, you know, he paid off. Yeah, and I mean, and the journey for the team, I mean, the expectations weren't high. Uh, going into last year, picked 13th out of 14. But uh, I really thought one of the first signature moments was uh, when you guys went to Orlando, Florida, and played so well. And uh, one of the most unforgettable things was uh, the Notre Dame game, and we know how good that basketball team ended up being. You were able to to make a play late, and the team was able to win that game. Just kind of talk about uh, the the confidence you guys got from that early success last year that kind of helped propel you to a season that many people didn't think you were going to have. You know it's huge, you know, especially picking up those those early those early wins. But um, I think it all started um, as soon as Coach Johnson really stepped in into the Coliseum. You know, he like right away. You know, he's walking in there with his you know Louis Bell, you know Hublot watch, and probably like twelve thousand dollar suit. And you just can't help to pick up on the confidence that he uh, that he radiates. So just he would always tell us, you know, day in day out, the amount of confidence he had in us and the amount of confidence he wanted us to have in ourselves and you can't help but just, you know, play up to that level. You know, every time you'll just be speaking positive positivity in us, telling us to keep playing, keep shooting, stay aggressive, uh, regardless of what happens uh, during the course of this preseason, non conference and even conference play and uh, with that that just gives us a lot of freedom and confidence to go out there and, you know, knock off some of these guys and teams that were ranked ahead of us because we just walked in there with a confidence and swagger that, you know, we're Alabama and we can beat you guys. Well, and uh, I was smiling this morning because, as you heard, you, heard, you you and your agent, I'm sure keeping up with the NBA draft buzz, Ben Simmons is going to go number one, it looks like, to the Philadelphia 76ers. And they've been playing a montage of his games uh, this year uh, from LSU. But I did not see them replay Alabama and LSU in uh, Baton Rouge uh, in the game that you had, which I'm sure a lot of NBA scouts were there, and that's going to be one. If you should hear your name called tonight, it's going to play a big factor in that. Was that your favorite memory from the season, or what was it uh, from this uh, from your final campaign in Crimson? Oh gosh, yeah, that, that's that's definitely up there. Um, I'll say I'll say probably the my my most fond memories of this year would probably be um, the Notre Dame game. That was that was unreal. Uh, that, was, that was my first college 
uh, game winners. So that was that was really mm-hmm. special. Uh, another one would have definitely been beating Florida at Florida. Oh yes, that was yeah. That was just it was really cool because my my favorite part about that was I didn't play the last five, six, seven minutes of the game, mm-hmm. and just to be able to you know be on the bench and actually see my teammates step up big, see the guys on the court in a sense do it without me with me just chin them on. That was that was. I was so real. He made me. He made me so happy to see, this, see those guys really like pull off and make history. Basically, you know, beating Florida, at Florida, and um, yeah, that LSU game. That was a <laughs> that was a fun one. Um, over there, I was able to. I think it was thirty five. Yes, yeah, so you had thirty five in that one. Thirty five. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun game. But uh, that was the game I had a little chip on my shoulder because um, I didn't I didn't think they should have beat, beaten us at home. Um, mm. And it was funny because um, my my pastor was actually at that game. Pastor Chris, the head pastor of Church of Holland, mm-hmm. he was actually at that game. So I was bummed that we lost in front of him. So I was like, man, I'm about to go in LSU and destroy these cats. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was it was definitely those are probably the games that were really up there. Fun. And now the uh, the draft process has been well underway for you. You went to Portsmouth uh, and played well. Uh, and uh, just how have those? Uh, how, what is the feedback you've been getting uh, since that has started for you? I know you've had a lot of individual workouts. Yeah, so um, it's been going good. You know, Portsmouth was you know, started off slow, but finished strong. I was mm-hmm. able to make all tournament team there. Um, and then yeah, through the through the draft process, it's been good. You know, different teams are uh, they're surprised by the let's say versatility in my game, and I, I think that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to show these teams that you know I'm not one to one-dimensional, you know, I can shoot and drive, I can pass, I can defend. So um, the feedback has been good um, across all the board, all workouts. So um, it, it's been really cool just to go in there and see the different facilities, see the different cities, work with the different coaching staff, um, meet some of the players, uh, just really just go through that entire process. Everybody's just been so helpful. And even if you had to start off in the D League or something like uh, that, I know uh, uh, Levi Randolph, your former teammate, has done that, but he's done very well. Uh, I know you were able to work your way up at Alabama. Uh, you redshirted and then got better progressively every year, and I know that's something you're willing to do to grind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I believe that's, that's just a process of you know getting better. Obviously, you'll, you'll start at a certain level, whatever that may be, and you just have to um, work your way up. You know where that might be. Obviously, we'll, I'll, I'll find out hopefully later tonight, and then as the process goes on. But um, that's something I've always had to do my entire career, and uh, and I enjoy it. You know, I just, I enjoy the grind. I enjoy getting in the gym and getting better every day. Um, it's something I love. So um, either way it goes, I'll be excited to just you know do the same process over again, but do it at a at the highest level possible. What is and I know you've probably spoken with Levi. I know you saw him recently. What has he kind of told you and advised you during this process? Um, he's just been telling me to to stay focused and just keep working. You know, that's 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 one of the the big things that he told me. Just to, to don't get carried away with all the distractions and the the flash that come with uh, the NBA lifestyle and and pursuing that dream. And at the same time, he told me to stay working. You know, that's. That's the thing that's consistent. You know, the amount of work that you put in, you deserve success. Because that's something Michael Jordan said. So, um, with that, he's just been telling me to keep the faith and keep on going. Just as he's doing the same thing. You know, we actually, me and him, we actually worked out this morning at 7 a.m. So, nice. Um, you know, so he's been my workout partner. <laughs> We've been getting after it. So, uh, just like um, he's telling me to keep working, I'm telling him to keep working. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be a really cool moment, you know, if, 
you know, however soon in the future, we'll just, we'll, I don't know, be playing on the same NBA team or playing against each other. But that will be really cool to ever see that come to pass. Oh, it really will. And uh, and have you had more contact with one uh, organization in the NBA than others? Uh, it, what, what's been, I mean, do you have kind of a feel of who may be really, really interested? Um, I do. Um, we got we got a, a, a core of a couple teams, you know, mm-hmm. that are that are really interested, and in, uh, but we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, with um, some of these free agency trades and um, teams maybe moving up and down the board, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how everything kind of plays out. But um, I'm I'm comfortable in the spot that I am right now with the teams that I have that are interested. So uh, either way it goes, it, it should be good. And then uh, I know I, don't, I know you've probably had uh, some time to reflect. Uh, uh, you know, five years ago, John Brannon signed you out of Antwerp, Belgium. Did did is this what you always envisioned in your journey? Um, yes and no. So, you know, my dream had always been to uh, one day be able to hear my name drafted, you know, in the NBA, and then um, you know, embark on that new journey. But um, there's no way that I could have imagined the whole process and how it went down. I didn't think it would take me five years. I honestly did it. I didn't know I was going to go through a coaching change. Um, I didn't think I was going to set the records that I set this year. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's funny because you, I think as people, we tend to envision things. Mm -hmm. um, But to a certain extent, we still sell ourselves short. So uh, it's crazy how, you know, just my college career is just another example of that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm dreaming big by, the things I was dreaming, but all the things that I achieved in this previous five years, they just completely just blew all my goals out of the water. So, it's, but it's, it's just been cool, you know. I'm I'm extremely grateful to God for how everything played out, and I'm excited to start this next chapter in my life. I uh, think, and everybody, all the Alabama fans and uh, are in this state and throughout the world. And, are anxious to follow it with you, and I, I think you are. You end up. You you, have, you hold a very special place to the Tide Nation uh, with what you were able to accomplish, both on the court and off the court. And what I think everybody was really uh, fascinated by is, uh, and really it was just heartwarming to everyone, is how much it meant to you to play uh, for the university. Definitely, um, I can't I can't thank the university enough. I can't thank the fans enough, the community um, of the. Alabama Crimson Tide for just the continuous love and support they showed me and all of my teammates throughout the years. It's uh, it's 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 hard it's hard to put in the words, you know. And just like you said, the university is always gonna have a special place in my heart, and uh, I'm looking forward to being able to give back. I'm looking forward to to come back and visit and um, you know meet the fans, even though I I would have graduated and people will, you know would have moved on, but I'm just. I'm just always, this is always going to be home for me. So, uh, you know, I love the university. I love, you know, the state of Alabama. I've got great memories here. And, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be uh, sticking, sticking around and revisiting as much as I possibly can. Well, we all hope to, that you realize your dream tonight and hear your name called in the NBA draft. And we're back. And that was, yep, sorry, <laughs> that was Retino Basahan earlier today. Uh, now watching the NBA draft, which is six picks in, number seven. The Denver Nuggets are on the clock. Uh, the sixth pick was just Buddy Heald of the Oklahoma Sooners. Before that, Chris Dunn at Providence going to the Minnesota Timberwolves and probably means the end for Ricky Rubio, who's the point guard of that squad. Chris Dunn may be, uh, I really think he is, in the top three players overall in the draft. A uh, very talented player. 
I think, the best guard in the uh, in this draft and uh, pure guard, point guard, and a great pick for Minnesota. But they're seven picks in now. The Denver Nuggets on the clock with about 30 seconds to go. But we wanted to thank Retin Obasahan earlier today for sitting down with us, and hopefully he will realize his dream tonight uh, is getting drafted in the NBA draft. But now we're joined on the Sunbelt Tents hotline uh, by our third amigo. He's uh, going to be talking some football with us in hour number one, and that is William Redfish Barger. I know William is a little allergic to the round ball, ready to, for the oblong ball. How are you doing tonight? Man, you know, I am allergic to the round ball, but I, I really, you know, because I'm such an Avery Johnson fan. Um, right. You know, I tuned in and watched, and I can't lie, it's probably only three or four games. But uh, <laughs> that young man impressed me, um, you know, with the way he carried that team on his back and how he performed in clutch situations. You know, I think you really have to uh, – you know, look at, you know, him being a senior, um, you know, coming out of the dark days of, of Anthony Grant era and, and, you know, having a new head coach come in. Um, you know, I experienced that, um, you know, as a freshman at Alabama, as a football player between Bill Curry and Gene Stallings. But, no, man, just just listening to you guys talk to him and uh, the, the love and the loyalty that he has for the University of Alabama, that, that was good stuff. Yeah, it was a great interview. We want to appreciate him taking the time. It's been very busy for him. His parents coming in from Belgium, hoping to see him drafted. Uh, but, William, I know we've got a little bit of news on the football front, as we always do. Uh, the major news, of course, was, uh, as you predicted uh, on this show uh, earlier this week, Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones have the charges completely dismissed. Sounds like it was a, a Keystone Cops type of investigation and handling of the situation with Hootie and Cam, and uh, I think now I completely agree with you. After seeing this all play out and how everything uh, has uh, turned and, and the way that it's uh, just uh, – the, the, all the cards have been put on the table, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, both these young guys are going to be in the lineup against Southern Cal, barring some other, something else going wrong. Well, before I answer that question, Drew, because I know you're on top of this, and, and I, I actually do, you know, care about – um, you know, what, what Obama-san's draft status is. Where, where do you see him going in the draft? Well, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, I know he's, he's impressed during the workout process at Portsmouth, uh, the senior showcase. He started off slow but made all tournament. I think, you know, I've been looking at some projections today. A lot of them have him going undrafted. I think there's a chance he could go in the low, lower part of the round two, which is 45 through 60 or I guess I, I guess I should say 62 because I think uh, if I'm, I'm, I sometimes forget because they add picks because of compensatory stuff, but they have usually around uh, 60 to 62 uh, selections in the NBA draft. And I, I guess it will be still be 60. I don't think they've, they've added any more compensatory. So I would say through 60 is where he would have a chance to go. He would be the first draftee since Richard Hendricks back in 2007. It's really been a long time for Alabama. Wow, but wow. I, I think – because Levi Randolph, years. yeah, Levi didn't went undrafted and has done well in the D League, and I didn't expect him to get drafted last year. But you know, I, honestly, he didn't have as good a senior year. He had a good one, but Retton had a great one, being first team All SEC. The only the, Retton's only issue a little bit is that he's not six three. If he were six three, a bigger guard, the the NBA likes bigger guards. I think he would be a lock to be drafted. But if he gets drafted, I think it'll be in the forty five through sixty range. Uh, but regardless. He's going to have a chance to play in the D-League and or overseas for a lot of money. 
Uh, I think, you, yeah. you know, six digits and if he can get in the right situation. And then it's just all about proving yourself. And I still wouldn't be shocked if he ends up on an NBA roster. He and Levi both. Levi had a really solid year in the D-League this year. I think both of them have a chance eventually to play in the in the NBA. And both of them will be in the, in the in more than likely in the NBA Summer League, which is where they can impress some more people uh, later on in the few, next few weeks this summer. So I, I do think he has a chance to get drafted. Wouldn't shock me if he doesn't, but I, I still think regardless with what Avery's done with him, he, he's on the radar screens, which he wasn't a year ago. Well, and you brought up a good point about the amount of money that they can make now overseas. Um, my best friend as a child, um, it, was, it was kind of funny. We grew up across the street from each other, and I ended up getting a scholarship to Alabama, and he ended up getting a scholarship to Tennessee to play basketball. And, you know, this was in the, you know, so we were both done by 94. So, you know, he was making $50,000 a year playing for a, a, you know, a a Europe NBA team in in Germany um, in 1994. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, uh, what was the the good, you know, I I guess he was a center. I don't know enough about basketball. Um, Mm He played for uh, Mark Godfrey. Irwin Dudley. Are you talking about Irwin Dudley? Yeah, he played. He, Irwin he still Dudley, played. yes. <laughs> ten, years, ten years after my buddy Gannon Goodson, uh, you know, who was a great center for, for Don DeVoe and, and uh, Hudson up there at Tennessee, was knocking down 50 Gs over there in Germany. You know, Dudley was making a half million dollars a year doing the same same role. So, oh, yeah. you know, even if, yeah, even yeah. if yeah. Obama sign doesn't make it to, to the big show, he still has an opportunity to make a lot of money playing pro basketball over in Europe. That's a totally different dynamic, you know, than it was 20 years ago. Um, yeah, matter of fact. Your, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you're a former John Carroll uh, alumni like yourself, Ron Steele. He, injuries kind of took away his shot at the, at the NBA, but he did the same thing. He, he and Richard Hendrick. Richard is still playing. Uh, but uh, Ron retired last year and is now coaching. He coached the girls at John Carroll last year and is now taking another job at another school. But Ron played several years in the in the in Israel and in the in the Europe and made a lot of money as well before finally hanging it up. So you, you're right. If you get the right situation, you can make six digits. And a lot of times it's tax free with a house and a car. It just depends on your agent and who you can get hooked in with. Well, and that's that's exactly the same gig that uh, you know my buddy Gannon had in, in nineteen ninety four. Um, mm-hmm. You know they paid him fifty thousand; it was tax free. But you know they they gave him a rental car. Um, he was forty five minutes via train from Amsterdam, and you can only imagine what he went over there and did. Uh, <laughs> but but came back home, you know, four or five years later, uh, with a beautiful woman that he had met in Iran. And, uh, you know, they've had a couple of kids together. Gannon's been a, a very successful pharmaceutical sales rep over in the northern part of Atlanta for the last 20 years. So, um, you know, that's not a bad road to go down. You know, there there was that no. avenue, um, you know, kind of available to, you know, my generation of players. Um, you know, I was actually, you know, worked out and tested and, and offered a, um, you know, a spot, you know, with NFL Europe. Um, you know, and the guy mm. that worked me out, uh, his, his son ended up being a pretty good uh, college quarterback in Andrew Luck. Um, oh, Oliver nice. Luck. Oliver. Oliver Luck was the, the commissioner of NFL Europe when I was coming out. And, uh, you know, 
wanted me to come over there and, and play offensive guard. And, you know, for $45,000 a year, I was like, you know, sorry, I'm not flying overseas <laughs> and getting my head caved in. I've already got a job offer from General Electric making, you know, a lot more money than that. So, um, but that that's the difference in the finances, you know, 20 yeah. years ago versus now. You know, the league minimum then, if you made an NFL roster as an undrafted free agent, was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, you know. Now, right. if you do it, now if you do it, it's five fifty. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it, the, the money has just gotten outrageous. Uh, it's it's and you can't blame kids for continuing to chase it, and of course uh, to chase uh, the money overseas because even when the money goes up in the NBA, it goes up overseas. It, it, it's a whole deal. Uh, but it's uh, and, and we wish we were at no Bostahan. Nothing but the best. But, uh, you know, to, to switch gears back to the football situation, it does look like uh, that Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones, the situation has now uh, been clarified. As we were saying, uh, you felt like this thing got dismissed. Uh, and now we see how much, uh, you know, marijuana was in the car, how it was handled. And now they've even leaked out, and I think Nick Saban did this on purpose, kind of the discipline uh, that, uh, that Cam Robinson has been going through. Should nothing further uh, you know, come to come to uh, you know pass with these guys if they stay out of trouble and if they uh, continue to walk the straight and narrow. Uh, I, I think uh, you were 100 percent correct, William. I think you're going to see these two guys against Southern Cal. Yeah, and you know, Drew. Once the uh, the discipline plan got leaked out, you know, the one thing that kind of stood out to me over you know what Cam's doing versus what Hootie's doing is you know. Hootie got sent to the 21-day club at Bradford, which is drug rehab, right? 21-day inpatient. So that immediately tells me that Hootie had tested positive for some sort of drugs prior to mm-hmm. this incident. You know, he got sent to rehab and Cam didn't. And, you know, I think if you break it down and you look at it, you know, specifically about Cam, um, you know, he, he walked off the field after the A-Day game with the Malmore Leadership Trophy under his arm. And, yep. you know, they don't give that thing out to people that have ever been in trouble before because, you know, Malmore never got into trouble as a player, and that's the reason the award was created. Um, you know, Cam's always been a high-character kid. You know, I know a lot of people kind of, you know, scoffed at the notion when his high school head coach came out and said, you know, hey, this isn't the guy that, 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 you know, that played for me. He's never been in trouble a day in his life. And I think you've seen that play out. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Cam's doing, you know, ride-alongs with the Northport police. Um, you know, he's doing community service. And, and I think all you have to do is go back when it all, you know, first came out and Nick Saban said, this is something that we're going to handle internally. And, you know, a lot of a lot of fan bases, you know, not named Alabama, are up in arms about this deal. But, you know, I don't think there's a better in-house discipline program in place in college football than the one that Nick Saban has in place at Alabama. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's been there, There's been, uh, you know, numerous cases of, you know, kids that have gone before – you know, the leadership council that have gotten dismissed from that program, Deron Carter, you know, Alvin Kamara, Al T. Tenpenny, um, you know, none of them, you know, knocked over liquor stores, you know, with an armed robbery report. They just didn't fall in line and become 
um, you know, the type of citizens that the leadership council thought they should be. You know, Charles Baldwin's another one. Um, so I think if you dig a little bit deeper and you look into, um, you know, that, that discipline report or, or the, the consequences, I guess, that both players are going through, but the one thing that stood out to me between Cam and, and Hootie is that, you know, Hootie had to go do the stand at, in, at Bradford up in Warrior uh, for the 21-day club, and Cam Robinson did. And that tells me that Cam Robinson never has never had a positive drug test, and Hootie Jones has. Yeah, great point. And now we have our first guest on the uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline, and we want to thank Billy Tentman for sponsoring BAMS Radio, coming on with us. That's a great thing. He's a big Alabama fan. Sure, he's listening tonight, and I know William had the chance to have lunch with him recently. Uh, but now we do have Jim Adams now coaching at Montgomery Catholic, who has been a guest with us in the past. I know he coached with Andrews out at Montevallo. Uh, he's a free, he lay, much like uh, a good coaching friend of uh, Williams in, up in North Carolina. Uh, he he loves to go, go to the clinic every year at Alabama, the OLDL camp. That's his. He's a he, he's a line coach, and he loves to see the Alabama staff work. And we always love getting his insights. But Coach Jim Adams is on the uh, Sun Belt Tents hotline with us. Coach, how are you doing tonight? Oh, man, everything's great. How are y'all doing? Doing well, Coach. And first of all, we want to thank, uh, congratulate you for your move to Montgomery Catholic. Uh, I was wondering maybe kind of uh, where you were now. I knew Coach Zhao had taken the job at Calera. did not know if you had gone with him. But uh, just, I guess, for, for before you start breaking it down with the camp, kind of talk about your opportunity and where you are now. Well, actually, it, it kind of jumped up on me about the middle of last summer. I had planned to go back to uh, Montevallo with Coach Zow. Ah, and okay. uh, a kid that I had coached uh, years ago as a defense coordinator at Montgomery Catholic now, and I had inquired this other guy about a private school job, and this kid called me out of a clear blue sky and basically said, hey, uh, here you think about retiring, you want a job. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> let me come down and look at the school first, see what's going on. <laughs> So uh, I got an opportunity to uh, retire from public schools and go work in a private school, which means I'm double dipping, which means I'm getting paid <laughs> twice a month, which means for the there first, time in, first time in my coaching career, I get to the end of the month and I still got money. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, that's a pretty good situation. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm used to calling my wife two or three days before the uh, end of the month going, hey, I'm going to stop and get me a can't snuff. Is that all right? Said, no, no, no. Don't buy anything. And, <laughs> and now, uh, now it's, uh, yeah, go ahead. Get two or three if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's always nice. And you put in the the years and, uh, I, I was just, I was, I wasn't as familiar with Montgomery Catholic's program. So I, I guess you came in with coach Aubrey Blackwell. That's 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 right. Uh, he's a, he's a great guy, man. We do things, uh, we do things the right way. Um, you know, private schools are a little bit, a little bit new for me, a little bit different for me. You know, I spent last season down there, so you know, football wise, it's you know, it's just football. But, but teaching wise, uh, it's a little bit, a little bit different from public schools. Uh, or maybe a little bit more scrutiny, but uh, you know, if, if if you're paying for your kids' education, you want to make sure they're getting a good education. So uh, that's that part's been a little bit, a little bit different. And I went back to teaching eighth graders, which was uh, the job that was available. So that's I've spent the last 20 years or so with juniors. So that was a little bit of a culture shock. But, uh, you know, the fo- football is football, regardless of where it is. And, uh, you know, we work the heck out of the kids and do it uh, 
you know, year round, just like everybody else does. So I'm I'm having a lot of fun, and my feet still in the grass, so uh, I, I can't <laughs> complain. Well, and Coach Adams, I know William has got some questions for you. He, much like yourself, you know, he's an old lineman, so he loves the OLDO camp and uh, usually what comes the news that comes out of it. But I'll let him, uh, you know, kind of uh, start the question and answer portion of this interview. All right, good deal. Yeah, well, Coach, like, this, uh, this is the second camp. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, this is the second camp I worked. I actually worked the uh, the young guy camp, the 8 to 8 to 14-year-old camp earlier, like last week. 1,600 eight to 14-year-olds. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, (laughs) – you you earn your money at those camps. But it's like Coach Saban pointed out to us when the – you know, when they had a coaches meeting at the at the first camp, he said in in uh, the former communist countries they would take the best coaches and put them with the youngest athletes. So that was a way of buttering us up a little bit and kind of, <laughs> kind of preparing us for what was coming. But I had a uh, I had a group of thirteen year olds and they were actually the I've, I've been working camps at Alabama since since Dubois. So I mean, you know, I go back a lot of coaches. And uh, this was actually the best group of 13-year-olds I've ever had. I actually offered to adopt one kid from Georgia who is uh, in bullet drills, one-on-one drills. Nobody blocked him in, in my 13-year-old group. And I told Coach Dunbar, I said, we need, we need to move him down. I, I mean, move him up to the, to the older group because nobody down here can block him. Nobody blocked him in that group either. So uh, I offered to adopt him, but he declined. <laughs> So, well, Coach, uh, I, uh, I I wish you were still down there in uh, Calera with Andrew Zal because I actually live in uh, Alabaster, uh, probably as a crow flies. Uh, I'm less than 10 miles from Calera High School. Um, I don't know if you know where uh, Meadowview Elementary is over there in the Alabaster. Actually, actually my, my children went to school at Meadowview, and my wife was an aide at Meadowview, so I'm very familiar really? with it. Well, I'm yeah, I coached at Thompson years ago with uh, Ricky Seal before I went to Shelby County. So I'm I'm pretty familiar with just about everything in Alabaster. Uh, Freeman uh, Freeman's going to do a good job up there. Thompson Thompson will be a contender again. You can guarantee that. But uh, Andrew, I, you know, Andrew left Montevallo and went to Calera, and I talked to him right before he made the move, and, and you know. Uh, I think the parents and the folks at Clear are going to be a little bit more demanding than those in Montevallo, but but Andrew Andrew's a great guy. He's a great guy and a good coach, and uh, he'll do a good job up there. So, no, um, and you, you know, you hit the nail on the head with with what's going on with Freeman at, at Thompson High School. Um, I'm I'm in the in the equipment equipment rental business, and uh, you know they're fixing to build uh, at the new Thompson High School the first you know, upper deck high school stadium in the state of Alabama. They're fixing to spend big bucks down there. Um, you know, they're going to try and compete with the Hoovers of the world. But, I, you know, I think, you know, the, the best thing that, the, you know, the listeners want to hear from you is, uh, you know, tell us about some of the people that you saw at the O-line, D camp, O-line D-line camp this weekend that you saw that stood out to you. Well, I'm I am absolutely terrible with names. So I mean, if you name kids, I can I can tell you which ones I saw and which ones I didn't see. I was working with uh, some of the younger groups. I know of the uh, there was a center from uh, Oxford 
and I don't know his name. You know, my kids that are being recruited called his name right off the bat. Uh, this kid didn't get beaten bullet drills all day long. Uh, he was a absolute beast. Um, Probably Clay Webb, Coach. Yeah, Clay, Clay Webb. That's it. That's it. That's it. Uh, that, that kid can go. I mean, he's he is darn good. I put every defensive lineman. I'm a defensive line guy. So I put every defensive lineman I had on him at some point in time, and, and he hadn't got beat yet. Uh, with the uh, with the older guys there, the, the group that uh, what is commonly referred to as the Crimson Group or the Number One Group, I got to see them some in some of the drills that I was doing. But as far as the one on ones, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with them. Now at the younger guy camp, uh, there was and y'all probably y'all have to help me out on the kid's name. There was a uh, a kid from Georgia that came in just to, to who has already committed defensive lineman, a, a DN guy already committed that came in and just went through workouts and I got to uh I got to watch him, you know, I actually helped to participate in the drills that Coach Saban was putting him through and uh offered to adopt him too as a matter of fact. But I, <laughs> <laughs> this this kid was a uh, this kid was a beast. He was he was an absolute animal. Uh and the and the funny thing is if you ever get the opportunity to watch Coach Saban put a kid through drills, do not miss it because this man puts body English on every move, every rip, every swim. I mean, I got I got almost as much of a kick of watching Coach Saban watch the kid go through drills as I did watching the kid go through drills, which was a treat in and of itself. This this kid was really good hands, really good feet, um, you know, just one of those guys, one a once in a lifetime kind of guy. That, as far as the coach is concerned, uh, that you know, just you give anything to, to to have a kid like that. Well, coach, I think it was Aaron Sterling, probably from Stone Mountain. Uh, That's him. You, you may That's have him. seen. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be a pass rusher deluxe. He's, he's a little, from what we understand, he's a little on the short side. But uh, other than that, everything everything else, his film's unreal. And uh, I know they, uh, some people think he may be a jack linebacker, but he may he may very well end up with his ha- hand in the dirt. But he's a really really good pass rusher. I think he had close to uh, twenty plus sacks as a, as a junior when he committed. There's some people worried about Georgia coming in there, but I know he had a good trip. So hopefully uh, they'll they'll get him firmed up. Uh, he was. Uh, I'm gonna tell you what, buddy. He was. He was something else to watch. Go through drills. His, his rip, swim moves, and swat moves were just, just incredible. You know, and Coach Dunbar has. He does. He does his uh, gauntlet drills on the pop-up dummies. You know, where you're squatting and ripping. He does them a little differently from from you know from from having work camps down there so long. You go through so many different defensive line coaches. Ruff was a little bit different from Randolph, and and Davis was a little bit different from them. And Dunbar is, is a little bit different from from any of the others. You know, so the kid had to had to adapt pretty quickly to what Coach Dunbar wanted him to do. But it was. The kid, the kids have got great feet, and he's got great hands. And uh, you know, the, the uh, university has outdone itself getting a hold of him. I'll tell you that. Well, coach, talk about that a little bit. You know, since you've worked the the Nick Saban camp for so many years, obviously, you know, you've touched on, you know, Chris Rump. You, you've worked with Bo Davis, and you know, you just worked the recent camp with with Carl Dunbar. What have you seen out of Coach Dunbar as a defensive line coach that you can say, you know, give us a, a critique of him, good and bad? He is uh, Coach Dunbar is not 
I, let me clean it up and get it out of the coaching terms. He's not all urine and vinegar that, that Bo Davis was. Now, Coach Rump was a pretty good mix of the two. Coach Dunbar is, is kind of a, a, a more of a teacher of the game, which is, you know, when you get a little bit get to be a little bit older like I am, that's that's what I consider myself more at this career is just a you know, a teacher of the game. And Coach Dunbar is like now he can get fired up and he can get excited, but he's not you know, he's not the uh yeller and screamer and holler that, that Coach Davis was, but the man really, really knows his stuff. And, you know, if 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 Carl, if Carl Dunbar walks into your house recruiting you I mean, as a parent, you're going to feel really good about sending your kid down there because he just he's he's really homespun. He's a really 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 nice guy. You know, he's one of the in the last you know six eight years down there. He is one of the nicest coaches that I've dealt with. Now, you know, he's he's really good. He's a really good X and O guy. Uh, when you just when you start picking his brain X and O's, he's a he's he's just absolutely excellent at it. But he's not he's not going to be the the, you know, the the Bo Davis really loud, really, you know, up in your face kind of guy. But but as far as just teaching the game and teaching and teaching moves and that kind of stuff, I feel real good about it. You know, and with what they got coming back, uh, uh, I think he'll shine like shine like a diamond myself. Now the really interesting thing. Uh, the one of the fun things that you get to do at the at the young guy camp uh, in between practices when you're trying to keep all 1,600 of these little buggers settled down a little bit is when Alabama has has their practices. And, you know, it's not like high school. We go out, we basically practice all summer long. Uh, right. You know, D1, D1 schools, coaches can't do that, so the kids have to police themselves. And, and me being a D-line guy, I walk, I walk down and watch mostly the uh, – the D-line work, and Allen is in charge of Jonathan Allen. Yeah. He's pretty much in charge of the defensive line group when they're going through drills and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you something. You do not want to go in the wrong gap on a, on a, on a blitz period with Jonathan Allen in charge because he just will absolutely rip you a new one. I mean, <laughs> I got scared, and I wasn't even out there. That was, that, that was a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun. Uh, and coach, uh, that's the great stuff. We everyone is wanting to hear kind of how Carl Dunbar uh, has interacted and uh, the kind of coaching style he has. And another thing people have been wondering about is uh, Coach Davis was really had really built a kind of a brotherhood and a closeness within a group of the defensive linemen. Uh, we've read things about Carl Dunbar when he was a police officer uh, during his off times as an NFL player, and that when he was with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, that, that he built a, a brotherhood with their D-line, and they had one of the best fronts in the NFL. But I, I guess, the, the, have you seen kind of, did you, were you able to see how he interacted with the John Allens and some of the players and, and, uh, and how they, uh, in the, I guess, the early stages of the relationship that he's building? Well, the, the only thing I got to see, Deshaun Hand came in while we were testing, and he and Coach Dunbar were, you know, I just kind of watched them while they were standing around talking to one another. And it was, uh, you know, not like with, with Coach Dunbar, I don't think it's going to be more like, kind of like Bo Davis, like being brothers, that type of thing, but more of a father-son type relationship. And, you know, you could you could tell that, that, that Ham just had a lot of respect for him and, and not, 
not like brothers, more like a, a father son type thing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, you know, and and and, and um, there, you know, it's it's going to be just a, it's going to be a different type of relationship than what Bob Davis had. And you know, I, maybe more along the lines, if you think back far enough, when Coach Randolph was down there, the relationship that the kids had with Coach Randolph is, is I think it'll be a little bit more similar to that. You know, and Rump was, you know, Rump was just, Rump was kind of in between. Uh, but, you know, I, I, as a, as a, I'm, I'm a coach, but I'm a gump too. So I feel real good. <laughs> I feel real good about Coach Dunbar. As a matter of fact, when I went down there Saturday, Coach Dunbar texted me and asked me, I've got a kid at Montgomery Catholic that's going to be, he's going to be D1 by the time he graduates. He's just a sophomore now and he's already got a few offers. And Coach Dunbar texted me and asked me if the kid was coming. And I said, no, he's, I'm going to bring him July 23rd to the second one. And he asked me, are you going to come down? And I said, well, if you need me to come down and work, I'll, I'll be glad to. So, you know, I went down there, and, and uh, Justin Dickens, the, the director of football operations, when he saw me, you know, he's like, well, come on, let's go. I'm glad you're here. Put you to work. Come on, let's go get your paperwork signed. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to sign for any paperwork. I don't want to get paid for this one. This one, I'm, I'm doing this for fun. This is a uh, this is my little tiny way of giving back a little bit. Now the second one, the one twenty third, I'm gonna get paid for because I'm gonna pay for kids way down the camp. So, but uh, you know, I I did that one. That one, if I had done that, I'd just been sitting home watching TV or something. So, you know, I I did that one on the uh, I did that one for free. Just and when you get to go down and work with some of the kids that you get to work with at these O line D line camps, because you know for the most part, kids that are real serious about it, these are kids that want to get looked at. These are kids that want you to coach them. That you know they they're they're wide open and wanting to listen to you. They're wanting to learn. So I mean, working camps like that is just 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 fun. I mean, that's just fun. That's you know that's that's why you keep your feet in the grass to do stuff like that. And if you can if you can Give a little bit back to uh, to the university, you know. Give a little bit back to where you went to school. That's that's you know that's just icing on the cake. I sound like a great stuff, coach. At that point, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. It's great stuff and great insight. And I got to tell you, coach, that's the amazing thing about the Clay Webb kid that you saw. That's uh, such a good football player. He's just going into his sophomore year at Oxford, so he's he's got two more years to go. He's he's going to be a an elite, if not five star caliber athlete. Hey, he's a he's a big kid. You know, he's he's I'm a I used to be six five, and I got old and shrunk a little bit. He's every bit as tall as I am, and uh, and good feet, good positioning. I mean, head stayed back. Uh, you know, even if, even from a defensive line standpoint, when I'm wanting to whip his butt as bad as anybody, you know, in the room. You know, you really you just enjoy watching kids like that work because he he's really really good at what he does. You know, he's uh, and I met his father after the after the uh, I offered to adopt him too. By the way, um, <laughs> I met his father afterwards. Just you know, real good people, and you know this this kid's gonna this kid's gonna go somewhere. He's he's you know he's a player. Absolutely. And William, did you have any more thoughts? Uh, no, not really. I think Coach filled in all the gaps um, as far as what's going on. Uh, I think that's good stuff about, you know, what he gets to experience as a, you know, a coach at the summer camps. Um, great stuff. Well, I appreciate and that's it. it. I appreciate it. 
you know, working the working the uh, the older guy camp, working the younger guy camp is work. I mean, because you got to watch them, you got to watch them every minute. Because if you've ever dealt with with middle school kids, they're uh, they're and we were the same way when we were in middle school, but their minds are just not right. But uh, <laughs> when when you get a group of thirteen year olds that work as hard and went through drills as hard as this, there was there was, you know, it was a lot of it was that part of it was a lot of fun. You know, walking mm-hmm. them to uh, walking them to Burke and walking them back to uh, the indoor facility and everything. Not quite so much fun, but the, as far as the practice and everything is concerned, it's just great. It's just great, you know. And I really appreciate those guys letting me come down and let me come down and do it because when you look around, there wasn't a lot of coaches my age out there. You know, these were mostly mostly young guys that that can take the rigors mm-hmm. of it. So, uh, hey, I just strap my boots on and go. Uh, that's kind well, of uh, coach. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that too because uh, what the thing that's remarkable that I always hear about the youth camp and and now sixteen hundred campers, unbelievable. Uh, but that Coach Saban treats it like the high school camp, and so do his staff. Uh, they co- he he's out there coaching the kids as they are all of his assistant coaches, and of course with the uh, with the help of your, yourself and several high school guys and young guys. Uh, probably also some middle school coaches helping out, but uh, it's just almost a carbon copy of uh, what he does with the uh, with the uh, high school kids. It is exactly the same. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, a few years ago, it was two camps ago. Uh, we were going through. You go through the flex drill that Cochran does, the same thing that he does with the high school, and then you go to. A, we used to call it county fair. We do a, a various circuits, and the defensive line coaches always have this drill called Panola. Where you bring your hands and your hips, you know, and, and uh, this past year we did against dummies, but a couple of years ago, as a, a coach down there working with us, and I kept looking at him and kept looking at him, and I said, "Look, dude, I know I know you from somewhere." I said, "Who who are you?" And he said, "My name's Jimmy Brumball." And I said, <laughs> "Jimmy Brumball, that plays Auburn." And he said, "Yeah, yes, that's me." And I said, "Yeah," and you're working in Alabama camp. He said, "Well, let me explain." He said, "My wife is an Alabama grad." And I took my right. son to Auburn camp, and she said, well, you take him to Auburn camp, you're going to take him to Alabama camp. And uh, so he brought his son down, who, by the way, was a really good athlete, brought him down to Alabama camp. And I said, well, what's the difference in the two? And he said, work. He said, Auburn camp, you know, they practice, but then they have, like, water balloon fights and this kind of stuff. He said, Alabama camp is, is all work. And so, you know. I don't know if this kid was back down here with him being at Kentucky now or not, but, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting having Jimmy Brumball. Real funny story, when we were going through that Panola drill, Brumball was screaming at this kid about bringing two hands, you know. In the Panola drill, you bring both hands and both hips. And I kept trying to get his attention. He's yelling at him to bring both hands, and, and, you know, and Brumball's still yelling at him. And when when the kid turned, finished the drill and ran off, and Brumball still kind of scared about it, I said, Coach, the kid ain't got but one hand. And he looked down there and saw that the kid, you know, had one hand and then one off. It stopped at the elbow, and I thought the boy was going to die. <laughs> it was so embarrassed. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was funny as a. <laughs> yeah, well, Coach, I've, I've had some experience with Jimmy. Uh, he His son, Legend, is a quarterback, and uh, he – He's he's a, he's played seven on seven with a good friend of William and I's, and uh, he would come and watch their tournaments as well. And it was it was kind of interesting because I was like, uh, just like you, as soon as I saw him, I was like, I know that dude from somewhere. 
And, yeah. I, and I asked somebody, and I was like, and they're like, Jimmy Brumbaugh. And then he was wearing Kentucky stuff, so then it all kind of made sense. This this was before his Kentucky. If I'm not mistaken, he was coaching over at, uh, maybe over at Scuba at the time. At East, East yeah, he was, he was in one of the Mississippi Jucos. Yeah, yeah. Right. Brumbaugh's got it. He's going to have a good career, he, and he's going to do all right. But, uh, yeah, you're right, though. His son is his son is an athlete. He's not a he's not a big D-line guy like Brumbaugh is. He's, you know, he's a little bit more spelt. Uh, mm-hmm. Real good-looking well, kid. Real yeah. good-looking kid, yeah. Yeah, he'll he'll be a Division One guy, and and of course, Coach Brumball was a class act, and really, people forget he was a really good player at Auburn uh, in his day. But uh, and I do think uh, it's telling what he said about the two camps. You know, why I say Coach Savings is all about work, and then Auburn's, of course, they, they do work, but then they they also try to have the quote unquote fun time. But really, I think what a camp needs to be is a work environment for these kids because they're only on campus really for a short time, and you need to. Uh, if they want to, get, they, they, and, they, and they, and you want to, they're paying a lot of money to be around an elite coaching staff, and then the goal is to get them better as players. Well, I mean, they're they're definitely going to take some skills back with them because I mean, it's it's the exact same thing that you do with the high school guys. I mean, when I went down Saturday for the O line D line camp, and 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 uh, Coach Dunbar asked me what drill I wanted to participate in, which drill I wanted to run. And showed me the the list of drills. They were the exact same drills that we did with the uh, with the young kids. So, you know, it's it's absolutely no different whatsoever. So, you know, and I not on Twitter there were some folks talking about sending their kids to the to the Bama camp. I told them I said, look, you know, if you're gonna send them down there, be prepared because they're not gonna go down there and you know and, and have a picnic. It's you're gonna work, and, and you know it's a long day. We got to the indoor facility uh, at eight fifteen and left about nine fifteen that night. So, you know, it's a long day for us and a long day for them. So, but I mean, yeah, it really fun. isn't. Fun. You know, it's, it's it's you know it's football all day long. So, my days my yeah. days of doing it are, are numbered. So, you know, I'm I'm soaking it soaking it in, having as much fun with it as I can have. Absolutely, and I guess to close out, I know you mentioned it earlier in the segment, but. Uh, the so you will be working the next OLDL camp, and this is the first year they've done two. So, well, is it a one day camp on the twenty third? How is it going to work? Yeah, yeah, it's one day. You get down about uh, they start registration and everything about ten o'clock, and you get through uh, right around five. The, the way we did, and I'm sure they'll do the exact same thing this time. And I, you know, it's like I told them, there used to be just one one day camp, and it was everybody. It was skill position, everybody, and that was. You know, that was the way Shula did it. That was the way, you know, going back, that's the way they did it. But uh, but doing just O-line, D-line, and the way we had to divide it up is that you went through drills, and then you had uh, one-on-one drills, which Coach Dunbar didn't even know it was called bullet drills. I guess I'm dating myself. Bullet drills is, is five offensive linemen versus five defensive linemen. And uh, then you have a very, very short break, and then you go back outside, for drills and then back inside the bullet drills again. Uh, in between, they showed them, you know, they went to the weight room and uh, the D-line, well, I'm sorry, the, uh, the the strength coaches who are all former D-line guys put them through a little short ab workout and flex workout and that kind of thing. So, it's you know, it's not really a break. It's kind of just, just off the field for a little while. And, uh, you know, then you go back outside and, and wherever you left off with all the different stations, you pick back up and went through the stations that you didn't go through the first time. And then you go back inside for uh, for bullet drills again. 
So I mean, it's you know, it's you get a lot of work in in six, seven hours, whatever you know, whatever it is. I guess about I guess about six hours or so. But uh, absolutely, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But it's you know, it's it's you grind, you get down there, and you go. So, it I'm sounds like forward, great stuff, Coach. And, to the next and, one. Oh, it's great. It's it is. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Man. We look forward to hope we'll probably be speaking with you again after that one, Coach. We appreciate the time tonight, uh, you, for you, Coach Jim Adams uh, of Montgomery Catholic, for coming on the uh, Sun Belt Tents hotline with us along with William Barger. Really enjoyed the conversation, Coach, and uh, really uh, proud that uh, you've been able to uh, go transition to Montgomery Catholic over the last year so well and well-earned. And uh, I really appreciate the, the thoughts and the insight from the camp. Great stuff. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. It's always a lot of fun for me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. Really appreciate you for joining us tonight. That was Jim Adams. <laughs> that was Jim Adams, Thomas, and I know we lost William Barger as well, but he was uh, going to uh, be uh, it was going to be a just a thirty minute segment with him tonight. But we thank him for joining us, and that was a great segment, man. Great thoughts and insight. Oh, absolutely. I, I have to admit that I was doing some production stuff, so I didn't catch all of it. But what I did, I mean, I, I'll quote exactly what I said in the back chat. This is spectacular. So. Yeah, this is uh, great stuff, and and now we're going to take our small break here as our, we're already an hour in uh, to the uh, to uh, uh, this BAMS radio. We're going to be going to nine o'clock, but we're going to have a special caller coming up, uh, someone that's uh, getting back and in, into the BAMS family, and we really appreciate that. We look forward to hearing from King Crimson here shortly, uh, and then we are going to have uh, some more uh, uh, some. Uh, some more a, a, a plethora of guests. Jimmy Stein will join us at 8:30 to kind of talk about uh, the uh, the, uh, the the legal situation with Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones as well. But we'll be back in just a few minutes for hour number two of Bam's Radio. on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog, free as a 
And we're back, hour number two, BAMS Radio, here uh, on uh, this uh, this Thursday night, the 8 to 9 o'clock hour. Hope everyone enjoyed hour number one. Man, it went by like it was like 10 minutes. Uh, great conversation uh, with Coach Jim Adams of Montgomery Catholic, the defensive line coach who worked the O-line, D-line camp for the University of Alabama. We were also joined uh, by William Redfish Barger. Uh, great stuff, as always, from William. Some thoughts on the Cam robinson Hootie jones situation. Even talked a little basketball. And then, of course, we heard from Retin Obasahan, uh, who I was able to speak with this afternoon. And later on in this first part of the hour, we will hear from Greg Goff, who has now joined the University of Alabama and brought Jake Wells with him uh, as his hitting coach. Still has to bring in a pitching coach. Christian Ostrander uh, decided to stay at Louisiana Tech, but Greg Goff, is the new baseball coach at the University of Alabama, and we're going to bring you that conversation as well. Uh, great stuff from Coach Goff. Very, a lot of energy, excited for him to be here. And, uh, again, and we look also uh, forward to talking to King Crimson here in a minute or two. Uh, Malcolm's going to join us and uh, with, his, with some thoughts on this BAMS radio tonight on uh, Thursday. We look forward to hearing from him. But, and then at 8.30, as we said, we're going to, we're going to be joined by Jimmy Stein, uh, and uh, Jimmy's going to give us his thoughts on Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones, uh, and then kind of what, the, how this, why this played out the way it did, uh, and uh, just kind of give us some insight into the legal situation. Uh, he is a prominent lawyer in the Mobile area, and then we'll even talk some recruiting because Jimmy's a well-rounded guy. Look forward, uh, Thomas, to hearing from Jimmy Stein again. And we also know he has his own podcast, Talking Tusc- Tuscaloosa, with good friend Luke Robinson, who's been a frequent guest on BAMS. Absolutely, Jimmy's going to be. Uh... A really good resource. I, I know that my dad's obviously a lawyer in Mobile, and uh, it was certainly – I've talked to my dad, and he's had some thoughts, but I'll be interested to hear Jimmy Stein's take on Cam and Hootie Jones. I, if you allow me, it's hard for me to get uh, that fired up. I thought the, the wailing and gnashing of teeth from the other folks – the other it's called other fan bases – was completely <laughs> overblown. I, I, 
you know, I, I think now to be fair, it was kind of Paul Feinbaum leading that torch as he decides to skewer the DA because the local news in Achita Parish played the like sentence huh. and a half of his quote uh, that uh. made him sound just silly. And it was like, it's like, yeah, Mr. DA, you sh- really shouldn't have said that, but why are we flipping out about it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think the quote's what made the story worse. I mean, when he said the quote about sweating and out in the heat and air conditioning, I mean, I cringed too. I thought, oh, this is going to get uh, – this doesn't even have anything to do with Cam and Hootie, and it's going to get him more heat uh, because of this dude uh, saying what he said. I mean, I, I just – I couldn't believe it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's a, a district attorney. Uh, but, I mean, you never know. Uh, but it's just – it's amazing sometimes. Uh, but – Again, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from Jimmy, and we always enjoy his thoughts and insight. And, again, we, uh, when King Crimson gives it, will hopefully give us a call here in a couple of minutes, want to hear his thoughts on the Crimson Tide. Looking Absolutely. forward to having him part of the BAMS family yet again. And, uh, and then, of course, as we said, the, the, uh, the, the audience will be hearing from Greg Goff, uh, the new baseball coach at the University of Alabama. I'm sure everybody's anxious for that also. Go ahead, Thomas. Well, well Drew, I do want to say uh, Jim Adams, who just was on with yes. us in our back chat, and he's saying that uh, his 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 eh, his head coach at Montgomery Catholic played for golf at Montevallo. Oh, great. And, awesome. and, and his statement is he said the kids better get ready to work. So. Oh, that's what I've heard, man. I've heard he's not easy, but, hey, the fun is in the winning. That I, is the best quote I've ever heard from Coach Bryant and Coach Stallings, and that's what Coach Saban has done at Alabama, and hopefully what Avery Johnson is going to do for the Tide in basketball, win. It's not about, you know, having fun. It's about winning. Because Agreed. that's what it is. It's work. Absolutely. And now we are going to go to the Sunbelt Tents hotline uh, for a good friend of mine. He's been a Twitter follower of mine for a while. I haven't had the chance to really speak with him, but I'm, uh, enjoy- I'm going to enjoy this conversation and we're going to go with uh, to to uh, King Crimson right now here at about ten minutes after eight. King Crimson, how are you doing? Hey, I'm hanging in here, guys. How are y'all doing? Doing good, brother. And uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, just uh, just trying to get my hands around football. Uh, we're staring right at the right down the barrel at football <laughs> season again. And of course, it's Alabama, it's Alabama, and we talk about it three sixty five. Seems like. Uh, with everything going down in Louisiana, it kind of ruffled some feathers with some other schools. I've been following that. It's been pretty interesting. Uh, they all got short memories, too, I guess, on some of their players. It's made some poor uh, uh, errors in judgment, if you will. But uh, I'm not going to harp on that. I would like to talk about uh, Dabo saying he was four plays away from winning. That's very true. He was about four plays. Those four plays cost him a lot of points. But, you know, Clemson's a good football team. I, sh- I certainly wouldn't want to play them. Oh, Auburn's well, playing them first, right? Yes, sir. And, and, and King, i got to tell you this. I, I was on another radio program with uh, Ryan Fowler in Tuscaloosa today, and here is my take on what Dabo Sweeney said. And first and foremost – uh, I've got to say that I am uh, very proud of what Dabo has accomplished. First of all, as a player, he came a long way in becoming a, a scholarship student athlete at the University of Alabama as a walk-on and helping the 92 team win a national championship. He was an overachiever both as a player and he has been as a coach. Never in my wildest dreams did I think he would become a head football coach at a major school like Clemson and have the success he's had. That being said, he still needs to grow up as a, and continue to mature as a head football coach because – what he said, 
he brought up, you know, four defensive plays. But guess what? Football is one in three phases. His team lost the game on special teams. He didn't bring up the fact that Alabama blocked blocked the field goal, DJ Petway, or that uh, Kenyon Drake, who's now on a Daniel Moore painting, returned a kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown. And and the biggest thing is he he failed to mention the fact that Nick Saban completely outcoached him with the biggest play of the game, which was the onside kick. That's where the game was won and lost. It was won and lost in the kicking game. And until he kind of realizes that, they're not going to win a national championship. Well, man, I can't disagree with anything you said. But you're right. I mean, look, it's no fun. I mean, Clint, it's been a it's been a drought for him getting back there, and it's not easy. And you got to have a little luck. The ball's got to bounce your way in a championship season sometimes. But uh, like I say, as far as being prepared, I thought they was about as prepared as you could be. Like I say, man, it's it's three phases of the game. Special teams cost them. And uh, bumped into a Clemson fan the other day in the airport. Man, he was so mild. He just kept going on. We shoulda, coulda, woulda. I said, if, okay, if you're going to, if I got to give you some ifs, how about giving me some ifs? Okay, it, you know that works both ways. But that was last year. I do think they got a a, a program that could possibly compete again. But. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the ACC is going to be like this year, and I don't really care. Uh, I just try <laughs> to keep focused on uh, what we're doing at Alabama because, you know, we're we're very lucky. And I say this many, 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 many times, uh, all the way back to the Shula days and <clears throat> and before that, you know, going through those hard times like we did and having what we have now, we should pinch ourselves as far as a college football fan. I mean, really, I mean, I used to read everything I could get my hands on. Now, <laughs> I just do what Coach says, show up and cheer, you know, because if, <laughs> if I'm pissed off about something, he's pissed off worse about it, believe me. And like I say, we got something special, and uh, I'm just really proud to, uh, just proud to live through this. I got got to live through the Brian era, uh, got to go through all that as a, as a kid. Uh, and this is this parallels it exactly. And like I say, I'm just really proud of uh, of uh, of what we've accomplished. And I tell you, it's been hard work, great recruiting. And uh, I don't know how many times you guys have watched that championship game, but I, I got to say this: Lane Kiffin is a genius at, at, at matchups, and I firmly yes, believe, after watching so much of last year's film. He's setting up plays two games back. He's setting up people, throwing it out there. They're taking the bait, and, 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 you know, he's just planting that seed, give them a look, and they'll jump on that, and then next thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. I mean, that guy is really good at matchups. And uh, you, can say, you can say what you want to. You can do what you want to, but you just can't. You, you can't compete with that kind of speed and talent. Uh, that that they're recruiting at wide receivers and and, and at all positions. It's just absolutely amazing that the talent we got down there. And and, uh, like I say, I I don't, I don't, I'm not really making a prediction on how we're going to do this year. I kind of feel like we kind of have a little bit of a letdown after a championship year. It's been a little bit like that. So I'm going to hold my breath and I'm not worried about it. Everybody goes, well, who's going to be quarterback? I said, heck, it don't matter. 
it don't matter because we're going to dink and dunk and not put a quarterback in a position to make a bad play. We got to all the other players have to step up and enable the quarterback to do what he needs to do to be successful. I know that sounds just like Nick Saban, and I'm moving my hands like him when I talk, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know how he does that coach speak. But anyway, I've been well, listening to the show a little bit. Yes, sir. And uh, just got moved. We're, I've been in a big move. Uh, we sold our farm, moved up here towards Gaston, and I'm just going to tell you right here on the air, if I have to go furniture shopping with my wife again, you'll probably read about it on CNN. I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I just can't wow. do it no more, man. It, it, I tell you, if you really want to test yourself and go through a move, I tell you what, with your wife, I tell you, it's uh, just been amazing. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, King, I, I'm definitely not a fan. I've helped people move and move myself. It is not fun. But I got to tell you, too, uh, Wayne Kiffin, I've made up my mind. Uh, I said this, if they won the national championship with Jake Coker and what he did with Blake Sims, he is he is the equal. I never thought I'd see one that was, but – he is the equal to Homer Smith as a play caller and a schemer. There's, he's the first one that I've seen that can do it, and, and he really, and he's been amazing. And he's cool and smooth about it. And it, you know, like you know, he does a touchdown. So he knows when he gets that matchup, they make the break. If they can get the ball to him, it's a score. And uh, like I say, uh, it's uh, it, it was good. I didn't I didn't know what to think when he first got there. He went, oh, I don't know. But, you know, like I say, if Coach thinks he can do it, I think he can do it. And uh, I believe he's proved his point. And just like the Tennessee game where we go up there, first play, touchdown, I promise yep. you he is going to slice and dice some USC. He pay back some other, son. And uh, he's yeah. going to get even. I promise you that. And uh, looking forward uh, to that. Are you Are you going out to the game? We will see, Malcolm. I don't know yet. I went out last year. I'd love to go back. It's the best venue I've ever watched a game in. Uh, if you ever, if anyone hasn't I been have, to Dallas, I, it's, I went it's out to get in and out hamburgers. That's what I went for. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. If you're out there, well, get can... you in and out. You can thank me later, okay? But listen, yes, just sir. Show, well, y'all, y'all keep up the good work, and I'll, I'll be listening. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, King Crimson. Uh, great stuff there. And, Thomas, we wanted to also update the listeners who many of may already know, but uh, recruiting continues to roll on for Alabama. They pick up the top long snapper. I'll be speaking with him on Talking Ball tomorrow. Thomas Fletcher uh, from IMG Academy, he picks the tie today. He will be a uh, very good chance that he's Cole Mazza's uh, successor after Cole is trying to finish his four-year career as a starter at long snapper. But he chooses the tie today. To, to team up. He's the number one long snapper in the country, and Alabama already has the number one kicker in Brandon Ruiz from Gilbert, Arizona, so we kind of see a pattern here. Absolutely, and I was just reading some of the commentary around this long snapper, yes. and some of the stuff was like the most developed kid at 18, and I realized there's there's more to into the whole long snapping thing, but it was just like the praise heaped upon this young man was startling. Yeah, and it really it, was. It's you know, it, it's weird to be excited about a long snapper committing, but it's obviously, it's obviously a key. You know, Alabama, what is it? What, what is it? There are, if any possession that ends in a kick is a good thing. Yeah. Well, that takes a long snap in some form or fashion. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it really does. And now we're going to have Jimmy Stein on in just a few minutes. But before that, we wanted to bring you a conversation to kind of switch gears. And I'm so glad I, I – uh, that Coach uh, Jim Adams gave us that insight uh, into the head coach he's working for now who played 
baseball uh, for Greg Goff at, 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 uh, at Montevallo. That's great stuff. But he, uh, his, his head coach, Aubrey Blackwell, played there. Uh, just really wanted to kind of bring you this conversation now with Alabama's newest baseball coach. And hopefully uh, yeah, the College World Series is rolling on tonight with an elimination game. Hopefully he will return Alabama to Omaha for the first time since 99. But this is new Alabama baseball coach Greg Goff. And that is Greg Goff. Coach Goff, welcome, welcome. to Talking Ball in Huntsville, Alabama today. Thanks for joining us. Man. Man, it's awesome to be here, guys. Hope you've had a great day. Uh, yes, sir, Coach. And I'm sure you've had a whirlwind the last several days. And uh, I know uh, your life has changed, you and your family. And I know you're you're uh, really excited to hit the ground running. I know that's really uh, – I'm sure uh, you've had to kind of grab sleep when you can, Coach. Well, we have. We've been on the run, I tell you. Uh, it has been a whirlwind. But just so thankful God brought us here and helping us do it for us. Uh, what a tremendous honor and, and – uh, opportunity that uh, just, you know, like I said before in our press conference, the dream come true for me. And, you know, that you know we enjoyed that for about 24 hours. And I looked at my wife and said, okay, it's time to get to work. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got a lot to do. So, if you guys know, if you saw my background, you know, we've you know, taken over programs and so forth. And, the, you know, the way you, you know, kind of put your stamp on it is get out, you know, let people see you, let people know you're going to work hard, treat people right. And, and that's uh, exactly what we've been trying to do. Uh, since we took this job over. Absolutely, Coach. And I know you mentioned your family prominently in the press conference, and uh, I know your wife has been on this journey with you throughout, and she's uh, she's uh, kind of used to it. And you guys have lived many different places, and uh, she's basically running the show, I know. Oh, she is. She's the rock. <laughs> she's definitely the rock. And, uh, you know, she, you know we've, we've been able to get over such a solution. I just so awesome to get back to the state of Alabama. The people here are just unbelievable. Uh, they have been so gracious to us, and having the opportunity to, you know, uh, get out and see Tuscaloosa. Uh, it's been, you know, a few years since I've been back in the state. It's just absolutely awesome. So thankful that we're here, and uh, just so thankful for the support that we've got. You know, when you when you think about family, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is the welcome I feel like you got from the other head coaches of the Alabama uh, athletics program. You know, I took awesome pictures. I know Patrick Murphy very well, and uh, I know he's excited to have you on board as well. But, you know, I hope you just feel welcome. I'm excited to see what you can do for the program. But what is it like being welcomed into such a um, big family at University of Alabama? Well, it was. You know, I know coaches' schedules are busy. You know, this time of year with recruiting and camps and trying to find a little time in there for some family time and just to see all the, the coaches come over uh, and welcome me out of their busy schedule. just been so much to me. and so humble to be a part of their family. There's just so many great coaches here. Um, and just for me to be a part of their family, I, the first thing I told every one of them as I was taking their hand and thanking them for coming was, I will see you next week. I want lunch with you. you know, I want to find out how they had success here at the University of Alabama and learn and grow. Uh, from them and, and try to build something that some of these coaches that are already here that have built a great, great program. And then, Coach, I know over the last several days you've had a chance to meet with your team and uh, uh, the, your perspective uh, squad at Alabama and get to know those players. Uh, kind of uh, talk about that and uh, kind of and, and the way they've received you so far. Well, it's been it's been great. Um, you know, the one thing that Coach Gaspar and the coaching staff here have done is recruited really, really good kids, uh, good players, but good kids. And, uh, you know, uh, Coach Gaspar, I think, had the same mentality I did. You know, you're going to treat people right and have integrity and all those things, which makes my transition so much easier because a lot of that stuff is already instilled in this program. 
uh, the work ethic and to do things right. So I just, you know, I'm very fortunate to be coming in behind a very, very, very good coaching staff that's put a lot of those things I think are important already here with the players. So that transition, I think, is going to be really good and easy. Um, you know, the next thing is just, you know, some things that um, that I like to do. I try to tell the players, you better make sure you're ready. You better make sure you're in shape. We're going to get after it from day one, and uh, we're going to make sure that we count, you know, make every day count as far as uh, getting prepared for the spring. You know, obviously you were the head coach of Montevallo, um, 2004-2007. What does it feel like to not only be in Alabama, but, you know, you're close to there, you know, so I know that you've caught, you've kept in touch with some people that played for you and families around here. So what is it like to be in the state of Alabama once again? Well, you know, I got so emotional when I saw some of my former players at the press conference on Friday. They drove in and uh, just to reconnect with that bond and that relationship just meant so much. And, you know, as you're here for four years, you see the University of Alabama, and you, you know, everybody that you talk to, you know, everybody's got an Alabama tag or sticker and so forth. And uh, just to now be a part of that family, uh, to be a part of, of uh, the university is just something that uh, just overwhelming, to be honest with you. And just so thankful to be here, and hopefully we can, you know, make this program proud. Where the fan base of the University of Alabama will be proud of what we're doing, also. And uh, I know, uh, Coach, uh, one of the things you uh, talked about doing, uh, you needed to find out what was going to happen at your former employer, Louisiana Tech, where you did such an outstanding job of uh, resuscitating that program and and getting them to postseason play. Of course, Lane Burroughs from Northwestern State, who I'm sure you know has now replaced you. Uh, Now kind of talk about your staff and has it started to take shape for you? Well, um, you know, Coach Wells that was with me, he played for me at Montevallo. He's going to come and be a part of the staff here. So we're in transition with that. And, it, you know, we're talking with some different people. We haven't really locked in on some people um, yet. We've got an idea. I've got a list of guys that, um, you know, I've worked with or are known, you know, throughout mm-hmm. my career that we're communicating with. Um, and you just never know. It's a crazy game. You know, it's a crazy, crazy world. So uh, if that doesn't work out, you know, I've interviewed uh, the coaching staff this year and just been really, really impressed with uh, Dax and Andy and just, awesome guys so uh you know if i don't really find the right fit for for me then i may look internally and and uh you know try to maybe maintain some continuity so it's still kind of up in the air for me and hopefully by the end of this week uh, i'll have an idea of the kind of direction that we're going to go yeah and coach and then of course uh you'll, you're, you'll continue to shape your roster uh, I know there's been some young men signed, of course, and I, you, you, I know you expected that. And I know you, I'm sure you have been in communication with others that still have a decision to make. And uh, of course, we talked about you meeting with the current players. Uh, what was their feedback to you as you met with them to kind of get a feel for the kind of imprint you're going to put on this program? Well, it's, it's really been good, guys. You know, I tell you, it, it's been uh, you know real positive. I think uh, the players and things have seen our press conference and seen you know the the passion that we're going to bring and so forth. And I think they're, you know, looking forward to that. It's, it's always tough in the coaching transition, but we've been through that before. And, you know, I just want those guys to know I'm going to care for them and love them and, and push them. You know, I want them to be the greatest uh, baseball players they can be, but I also want them to be great students and great uh, men when they walk around our campus here. I want them to exude, uh, you know, integrity and all those things that we want in young men. So, it's been really good so far. I think the guys are, have been really excited and wanting to talk to. And uh, I just keep reminding them, make sure you're ready to go because it may be a little different in the transition. We're going we're gonna to make sure that they are, are pushed and, and make sure they are prepared for 
an opportunity to win the SBC in the spring. You know, that was a great point you made, and that was actually what I was going to ask you, is what it means to coach guys to not only be better players, better men. You know, I think that's something that is a great characteristic of a great coach and a great leader, and I think that's something that you definitely have in you. So talk about what that means. We know, and you see your players, you know, after their athletic career go on into the world and, you know, succeed and just become better men because of what they're able to learn from you in college. Well, I just think that's, you know, uh, ultimately, as a coach, uh, is what you want. You know, not everybody's going to make it to the big league. Uh, for me, as a head coach here, I want these guys to get a degree from the University of Alabama. But I also want them to learn what discipline means. You know, I want them to understand that to be successful, you better have some discipline and you better have some drive. Uh, you better have some passion about what you're doing. And I think if you put those three or four ingredients uh, and let young men see, you know, by the example, hopefully, that I lead. Uh, that they'll grow and they'll understand uh, that, you know, there is a life after baseball and Coach Golf wants them to be successful after baseball. And, and so I think if we can continue to instill that uh, in our players on a daily basis uh, and keep them to a high standard, eventually when they get out of baseball, whatever that may be, uh, they'll be a whole lot more productive in society and be, you know, great uh, husbands and fathers and, you know, great stewards of, of uh, you know, the community they live in. And, Coach, uh, I, we, we just talked to Mark Etheridge of D1Baseball.com who follows yeah. the sport as, as closely as anyone, and he lives in Daphne, Alabama. And, and uh, we asked him about the hire, your hire, and the thing he really likes about your style and what he thinks you can bring to Alabama is uh, how aggressive your team plays offensively, especially from a base-stealing standpoint. And, and the way the reason he was bringing that up is because of – when your ultimate goal is, of course, to get to Omaha, Nebraska. You you did not shy away from that in your press conference. But that ballpark plays so big. And he talked right. about stylistically it, the way to succeed is to be able to bring that sort of element to the game. Just kind of talk about your, what you're going to – the kind of imprint you're going to put on the program from the standpoint of the way your team plays. Sure. Well, you know, um, I was a pitching coach all the way up to mm-hmm. my uh, assistant career. And then when I took over at Montevallo, I kind of switched gears, and basically what I tried to do, guys, is just create an offense that I did not like as a pitching coach. <laughs> Very good. So and that's what I did. And so I sat down and I called with different people, and I came up with a system of, of base running where all of our players will have the green light. Uh, unless it's a bunt situation or I give them the red light, I want them to be aggressive. Uh, I want to teach them in the fall, you know, eliminate doubt and fear, because in baseball, you're going to fail, but to be a good baseball player, you have to eliminate doubt and fear about what you're doing. You have to trust your instincts. So as a coach, I want to teach them all I know, but yet when games go on, I want their instincts to take over and trust what I've told them and just let themselves play. I think players play at such a higher level where they don't play with pressure and they don't worry about failing. And so as a coach, I want to eliminate that and take that away from them. Just let them play free. Let them play loose, uh, but intense. And so, uh, you know, we're going to do that here. I think, you know, in this ballpark, we'll be able to school because uh, we'll get uh, hit by a pitch or we'll take a walk or when we get two strikes, we're going to cut our swing down uh, to try to put the ball in play. I hate strikeouts. Um, I think pitchers feel so much confidence off of strikeouts. And in this league, you got the guy that got really big-time strikeout pitches. And so we're going to adjust and ask our hitters to, to cut it down and put the ball in play. And then, you know, for me, pitching and defense is where it starts. You know, we're going to put a lot of scholarships in pitching and, and up the middle with our shortstop, the second base, and the catcher and center fielder. Uh, and I think that's how you bet, you know, you build a championship team. But 
our mindset, as you said, we're like Mark, everybody sees us play. We're going to play hard. Uh, we're going to play 27 out, and uh, we're going to try to find a way to win. You know, Coach, when you look back at your resume, I think you have just a tremendous resume, and I was actually going to point out that you were a hitting coach, obviously, um, before you became a head coach. So I think that some – a pitching coach um, – that sorry, that is really incredible when you look at what Alabama really needs. You know, obviously they've gotten better at pitching, but I think that's important. You know, when you look at base running, you look at having the closeout games where, you know, you continue to be dominant in the beginning and finish through the end. I think that's something that Alabama struggled with. So talk about what that means and what are some key areas of focus that you can look at to help the Crimson Tide not only start games strong but finish them strong. Well, I think a lot of times um, with 56 games, I think, uh, you know, coaches sometimes don't want to play at an even keel, you know. And I think sometimes, especially playing in our league, it's so tough on the weekends, uh, it's hard to maybe get up for that midweek game. And so for me, uh, I'm going to let them know every game is important. We're going to try to win 56 games, whether it's a Tuesday night, whether it's a mm. Wednesday night, whether it's a Friday night. That's how we've been able to win. If you look at our record over the last five, six years, we've you know, won 40 games five out of six years. Um, and that comes from me. That comes from making our players understand. When we put the uniform on, we're going to compete at a very high level. And it's our job to try to win. And I think sometimes as the programs get bigger, sometimes the players don't really feel like that's really that important. And so uh, that's the first thing is making them understand 56 games, we're going to try to go 56 and 0. The next thing is, is, you know, what we try to do is, as the season goes along, uh, we get more individual time with our players and, and less, you know, out on the field as much. And so what we'll do is we'll uh, have individual groups. Maybe your group comes in for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then you're out. Uh, and then come back for maybe a small team uh, function. And so I think as the season goes along, and because you're we're playing so hard, because of the expectation we have with our players, you have to start being smart with your time and making sure your players, when it's game time, that their legs feel good, they, mm-hmm. their arms feel good, and, and we're able to go out there and continue to play at a high level, even after the, the games that we play. And then, Coach, uh, obviously, uh, you're, you, as you've confirmed, Coach Wells is coming with you, Jake Wells, to be the hitting coach. This team is the uh, University of Alabama has struggled offensively the last couple of years. What is his strength as a coach, and what's he going to bring to your program? Well, he's uh, he's a lot like I am. He's mm-hmm. a high energy, high octane <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, you'll see when when everything gets here, you'll see him and his face. Uh, he was definitely a, a huge part of our success at Louisiana Tech. You know, we went in and. And offensively, uh, you know, they had struggled a little bit, and, and he put his, uh, you know, fingerprint on that program and really helped our hitters uh, become better. I think that's the thing for us. You know, we're going to recruit good players, but we need to develop those players. And I think Coach Wells has did a great job of, of developing our hitters. If you see our numbers, uh, you know, we didn't slack off. We got better as it went along. And then our hitters, our power started, you know, becoming more uh, relevant. Uh, prevalent in the games and stuff because I think our hitters just continue to get better and we're always, you know, getting after them and, and helping them grow uh, in the cages and things like that. But Coach Wells is a high-energy guy. I think I think folks in Alabama are going to really like him. 
You know, that's a great point, Coach. And obviously he has ties to Alabama as well as the University of Montevallo as well. So talk about what that means, you know, having someone who, you know, y'all both have ties to Alabama when it comes to being able to recruit, recruit and get to know the players and family members when it comes to having that experience in the state. Well, it just helps so much, you know, with that relationship. You know, when we call a guy, um, we call a high school coach or a travel, they already know who we are. You know, um, Coach Wells played for me and then played some pro ball. And then, you know, he went on and, and helped a former player of mine, Brett Davis, the Marion Military. And then he became the head coach at Marion Military uh, Junior College and then, you know, ended up going to Mississippi State for two years working for Coach Cohen. So uh, that's so important for us. Those relationships in this state, there's so many really, really good players in this state um, and really good coaches. And I think, you know, having success uh, when we were here and then having those relationships, recruiting their players and stuff, I think, just makes the transition a whole lot easier. They're not getting somebody that has never been here, they never heard of before. They already know who we are and the men that we are and, and hopefully respect what we do. And then, Coach, finally, uh, you, I know you uh, spent four years under Keith Madison at Kentucky as pitching coach and so you're familiar with the SEC and your your journey has come full circle here uh, just kind of talk about now being a part of I, and I'm we're still going to say it uh, Florida's alive and this is the best uh, baseball in the country in the southeastern conference but I, I know uh, you, you've had a little time to reflect but how emotional for you you're an emotional guy we saw that at your press <laughs> conference uh, when you have your first uh, game in the Joe and the in the SEC how emotional is that going to be for you well it is you know, and I owe Coach Madison so much. Um, he just, to me, showed me how to be successful at this level the right way um, and help me get my priorities in life in line uh, with our faith and our family and, and our jobs. And uh, I'm just forever grateful for him and giving me the opportunity uh, to go and work for him in the SEC. And then, uh, you know, just so exciting for me. You know, my first SEC game, was here uh, at the University of Alabama. We played uh, here, uh, and that was our first. That was my first time to be a coach here. So, uh, you know, wow. having that opportunity to put that radio—I mean, that that uh, jersey on—and go out there, it's going to be very emotional for me, guys. I can tell you that. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we truly appreciate Thank the you time so much. this morning. We know it's been a whirlwind for you. We look forward to speaking with you uh, down the road as uh, your first season. And that was first year, or it's about to be, uh, Greg Goff, the new head baseball coach, formerly of Louisiana Tech, now the University of Alabama. He said he would have his pitching coach in place probably by the end of this week. We'll see what happens tomorrow. As we said, Kristen Ostrander staying with Louisiana Tech and new coach Lane Burroughs from Northwestern State. As always, Northwestern State has something to do with Alabama baseball. And the new coach there is a uh, – is a uh, is a coach of Blake Barbier, who used to be the uh, volunteer coach, uh, or excuse me, Bobby Barbier, uh, the former uh, volunteer coach at the University of Alabama. So he had uh, made his way to Northwestern State as a full time assistant. Now takes over uh, as head baseball coach there. So more Alabama connections, but uh, just really excited about Coach Goff and his enthusiasm. And uh, really uh, looking forward to his brand of baseball. And I know now on the Sunbelt 10 Hotline, we are joined by our next guest, Jimmy Stein. Of course, you can uh, follow him on Twitter, LJS Law. And, of course, uh, is the, has the daily podcast, Talking Tuscaloosa with Luke Robinson. And he was recently on Talking Ball with me as well. But, Jimmy, how are you doing tonight? Really good, really good, really good. Thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely, Jimmy. We always appreciate the conversation. And I guess before we break down the Hootie Jones and uh, Cameron Robinson situation though, from a legal standpoint, uh, talk about your impressions of Coach Goff. I know you've probably read some interviews you and have heard some radio interviews with him as well. Just uh, your impressions early on. Well, I love the excitement level. I like the new start. Uh, the thing that I, I like most about him is just what everyone that knows him personally has to say about him. I think he's a great fit. Uh, I, I don't know if socially is the right word, but I just think he's a great fit at Alabama. Uh, he, he might just be the exact right guy we need at the exact right time, and and uh, and, and we'll see. It's it's not the easiest job in the SEC, but it's also far from the worst. So so let, let's see what he does. I, I don't think he's inheriting a fantastic situation. But the beauty about baseball is things can be turned around pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens in, in year one, year two. But uh, as an Alabama fan, I, I think it's a, a really good hire, and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. He seems like, like a great guy. He certainly has a, has a, a nice resume, and he's been pr- now proven multiple times he can inherit a bad situation and make some uh, chicken salad out of it. Well, that's what I'm the most excited about, Jimmy, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, he, he's built programs everywhere he's gone, and they have, did not have a lot of success before he got there. Alabama's not a broken program. It needs to be tweaked. Uh, he has the outstanding facilities now and the access to even more talent. And I'm also – the one thing that he kept bringing up was player development, and I'm really excited about that because, in all honesty, especially from a position player standpoint, I felt like that was lacking at Alabama the last few years. That's uh, that's true. I mean, and, and, and I mean, you can just look at the Major League Baseball draft, and, and a lot of it's recruiting, and a lot of it's player development. But I think if you just look at the results of the Major League Baseball draft the last few seasons, we're, we're just not we're just not bringing in enough big time talent. We're not turning them into into pro prospects and first team All SEC type guys. And uh, I'm just glad someone else is uh, is getting a turn. We'll, we'll see how he does. Uh, Baseball is, is, is a little bit more coaching-oriented, I think, than, than something like football, which is so much about how big you are and how fast you are, whereas baseball is just more skill-specific, and, and coaching can make a difference. Yeah, and uh, the one thing, as you said, Jimmy, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because uh, Alabama has lost several guys to the draft, and even uh, and then Cal Jones with their uh, center field signee from Dadeville, Alabama, also so decided to move on after being a sixth-round pick of uh, the Kansas City Royals. So there's going to be some attrition from the roster. uh, So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he can do maybe in the late signing period. Yeah, and and just working with the the kids who are coming back. uh, uh, Right. Whenever you you make a coaching change, I've always noticed over the years, whether it's any sport, oftentimes there's one or two kids that maybe weren't playing before and the, and the new staff comes in and they see something they like and something clicks with the new staff that it, it wasn't clicking with the previous staff. So who knows, maybe there, there's a, there had been a little used player or two on the roster that all of a sudden becomes uh, sort of a centerpiece uh, with, with the fresh new start. Absolutely. And uh, he also has another signee that's still playing in the Cape from Pearl River Community College in Mississippi and that is Zach Clark. Uh, he was a 19th-round pick of the Milwaukee Brewers, so he has not signed yet. He, he could end up being the, that answer to the center field question, though he did play some shortstop in junior college this year as well, but you'll have Chandler Avant returning uh, to health that could uh, maybe play that position. And, of course, Kobe Vance has been just knocking the cover 
cover off the ball this summer, uh, getting better and has a uh, as we've all talked about with you, Jimmy, has a lot of potential to be a great player uh, at the University of Alabama. But now to transition to football, I think no one was surprised at how this situation worked out with Cam Robinson and Hootie Jones. But I know you came on the program right after the arrest and kind of broke down that situation then. Now we wanted to bring you back on to kind of wrap up the situation from a legal standpoint and how you think it played out the way it did for uh, the two young men from Monroe, Louisiana. Well, it's certainly com- it's certainly a complex situation. I think there's been a lot of confusion created over it because of the quote from the district attorney. Uh, the, uh, Jerry Jones, the district attorney, made a, a quote to the local media that I think has changed the entire uh, public face of the case and made it national news because, you know, the DA comes out and, and basically says that Cam and Hootie receive preferential treatment because they're football players. I mean, that's, that's, that's what he said. And if you look at the actual facts of what happened and comments from Hootie and Cam's lawyer, that, that's not the case at all. What happened is what typically happens in a case like this where the district attorney's office doesn't have enough evidence to prosecute the case due to an illegal search. So they have to drop the charges because they're not going to win a prosecution. That happens all the time in similar cases, yet the district attorney comes out, says what he says, makes national news. But what the quote that he said doesn't really jive up with what exactly happened. And I think it's really unfortunate because it paints a, an inaccurate picture of what happened legally. Uh, because it, it appears legally what happened is the district attorney's office concluded after interviewing the police officers, reviewing the reports, talking to Cam and Hootie's lawyer, that the, the search of the car was was not a valid search. Therefore, what, what we lawyers call the fruits of the search, i.e. what the search turned up, is inadmissible evidence. And if the drugs and the gun uh, are inadmissible, then you're not going to win a prosecution in that case. Therefore, the charges just had to be dropped. So it's a very typical outcome. What was not typical was the DA's comments to the media uh, afterwards, uh, portraying it uh, to, to you know portraying that Cam and Udi received some type of preferential treatment. But it, it doesn't appear to be the case to me. Yeah, Jimmy, that that uh, that's one hundred percent accurate. I, I I couldn't agree more. It just looks like it was a poorly uh, poorly handled by. The Monroe Police Department. There wasn't enough uh, to uh, uh, to uh, you know convict them of anything. Uh, even the gun situation with Hootie, uh, the, having a, a gun in his lap at, and having a gun out it, it, like he did in the car. That's not even illegal uh, in the state of Louisiana. So, uh, but the, young, the two young men are definitely uh, fortunate in this situation. Of course, now uh, there's been a lot of speculation because of the leaked info of Cam Robinson's. Uh, uh, with you know indefinite suspension and what he's been having to do, that that maybe perhaps uh, now people are seeing that these young guys may be in the lineup against uh, Southern California. But if you followed Nick Saban's protocol for these internal disciplines, it shouldn't be a surprise to many. But uh, a lot of the national media has been taking it and running with it with that. Exactly. I, I mean, in, in, I I remember you know commenting earlier you know uh, on you know on on band radio with you that. I, I never really expected Cam to be suspended. Uh, maybe Hootie, uh, just simply because I think one thing Coach Saban looks at is, you know, how many times has someone been in trouble, whether it's in the public's knowledge or not. 
but with Coach Saban so adamantly saying that, that Cam had been a great kid and had never been any ounce of trouble at Alabama, because of that alone, I never really expected Cam to be suspended no matter what the outcome of, of the, of the you know, criminal proceedings in Monroe. So uh, I expect to see Cam out there first now. Frankly, I expect to see Hootie out there in the first game. I, I don't know that it's fair necessarily to punish uh, the kids with a suspension when the charges were, were dropped. You know, I think everybody waits for the legal system to run its course. It did in this case, and the charges were dropped. So uh, as we've come to know through other documents, uh, Cam and Hootie are being punished by Coach Saban and the university in other ways, and in, in ways, in fact, that are quite helpful to them in terms of drug education, gun education, police ride-alongs, uh, you know, drug testing, thing, things like that that, that are really going to benefit the, the kids. And, uh, that, that, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing. There's no way for me to know for sure, but I, I'm thinking that's just going to end up being the sufficient punishment for the both of them. Absolutely, and that- Now with Hootie Jones, Jimmy, I thought he had his best spring as an Alabama football player. And now with the development of the last several days with Maurice Smith, who looks as though he's going to, uh, now that he's been granted his release, is trying to find a new home for his senior season to get more snaps, perhaps uh, in, in the state of Florida with the Miami Hurricanes, even though Maryland and Southern California, the upcoming opponent, have been mentioned, and Georgia, though I don't think he will be allowed to transfer within the league, even though he has graduated. Uh, but uh, just uh, an interesting – Hootie Jones now could uh, factor in in the dime package, though I think, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that Deontay Thompson's another young player to look for. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how that all plays out now because I think Mo Smith was definitely in the plans. He had a solid spring. But if he moves on, this could be Hootie Jones' opportunity. Exactly. And if you look at the scholarship numbers across the board, Drew, uh, our scholarship numbers due to the transfers – of uh, Sean Burgess Becker and now Mo Smith with the probable suspension of Tony Brown for at least a few games. The defensive back numbers are just really low. Uh, they're just low across the board. I think it's almost putting us in a position yep. where you, you can you can now just sort of count on seeing a couple of these freshmen play just simply because we'll, we'll need the bodies. But uh, I, I think Mo's transfer, I wouldn't necessarily say that that opens the door for Hootie, but all of it between Mo and Sean Burgess Becker and Tony Brown and uh, you add it all up and uh, Hootie certainly has a wide open door to win a spot either in, in nickel or dime in particular because we still have the four main defensive backs that we'll see on all the snaps, Marlon, Minka, Eddie, Ronnie. We'll, we'll see them on all the snaps, but uh, the door is wide open in nickel and dime uh, for, for new guys to, to step in with all the uh, – all the attrition that we've had at that position. Absolutely. You got all four of them in this class. Shyam Carter from Kentwood, Louisiana, Nigel Knott uh, from uh, Madison High School, or excuse me, Madison, Mississippi, Germantown High School, uh, Jared Maiden uh, from uh, Statues, Texas, and then Aaron Robinson, the sleeper from Deerfield Beach, who uh, many people are lauding that has really flown under the radar but can really play all four of those guys have now got a golden opportunity to come in and impress the coaching staff. I don't know if there's a Minka Fitzpatrick that's going to be able to come in and, and not go through spring and make that big an impression early, but you never know, Jimmy. Uh, the one I guess I'm the most intrigued by is Jared Maiden because of his versatility and size. Yeah, I think Maiden is a guy that of all of the four guys coming in, just like you, Drew, of all the four guys coming in, I think Maiden is a guy that could we could take a look at it more than one spot 
You know, I, I think he could play corner. He, he could play star. He could play safety at his size. Uh, so I, I think of those four guys, Maiden's probably the best bet to, uh, to, to be looked at to earn some sort of a role. I, I know in the past, you know, we have so many different positions. People think, well, it's defensive back. There's two positions, corner and safety. It's a lot more complicated yeah. than that, our specialty packages. But in the past, Coach Saban hasn't liked uh, teaching the freshmen more than one spot because it's so complicated. I, I don't know if that's something we're going to have to put on a Jared Maiden or a Cheyenne Carter. I, I don't know that. But uh, we're just short on bodies. Uh, someone has to step up and, and, and win the role as the fifth defensive back, as the sixth defensive back. That's sort of just a wide-open thing because uh, all of the candidates are really guys that haven't played too much or are true freshmen. Yeah, they really are. And uh, they and it's going to be interesting to see. And I know that and because of the numbers, I know they'll, they'll sign a good defensive back class coming up uh, in this 2017 group as well. And, uh, they're definitely going to be looking to, and they've and they've signed a lot of good young talent uh, in the secondary uh, thus far. And uh, they have Xavier McKinney committed right now, and Chadarius Townsend. And interesting news this week coming out of, uh, and I had been tipped off on this a couple of days ago, uh, Jimmy, but Chadarius Townsend from Tanner High School. There have been kids come out of there in the past with academic deficiencies. He is not one. He is a 4-0 student, taking his uh, a lot of his core classes this summer. Uh, to get them out of the way, and he is looking to early enroll at Alabama in January, and I think is going to end up as a defensive back. Yeah, I think he's a defensive back too, and that's really good news for Alabama. Uh, you know, one thing I, I tell people all the time, I, I think uh, we have a tendency to watch film and, and see what the measurables are and what does he run the 40 in. Well, maybe the most underestimated asset for all of these guys is intelligence. It, it, it's it's right. not a uh, – we have a complicated system – on defense and offense, it's not easy to, to have the full-time job of playing college football and do college academic work at the same time. And, and time and time again, we see that the smarter kids, the, the kids that are that are academically inclined, pick up things and do well. Because it, it, you know, even if you look in the NFL, Drew, I mean, you know, you look at the the best of the best players in the NFL at just about every position. These these are smart guys. They they really are. And uh, you know, whenever Alabama signs a talented athlete like Chadarius uh, Townsend, and, uh, and and then you hear about his grades and what a, what a, what a good kid he is, it's just easier to uh, to feel good about his chances to contribute. And then, uh, as far as the returnees, and I've been uh, I, I've voiced this on Twitter because of who I've talked to and the way they they said uh, he, that he's finally caught on. It's taken three years. Uh, after his, uh, you know, really, or two plus, I should say, after the red shirt. But uh, the kid from New Jersey, uh, Anthony Averett, had a very good spring. Uh, I was told that basically uh, they had three starting corners in the coach's mind, him, Marlon Humphrey, and Minka Fitzpatrick. But if Averett continues this development, it would allow uh, Minka to stay at nickel. And he was such a playmaker there last year and a magnet for the ball, Jimmy, against the pass as a, and also as a pass rusher. Uh, we saw also he was – blocked some punts on uh, special teams, but he seems to fit the nickel perfectly. Uh, what are your thoughts on maybe him staying there and Averett uh, being the other corner? I couldn't agree more that that leaving Minka at star and nickel would be a huge, huge deal for Alabama because Minka was such a spectacular player there and only year number one, and, and you hate you know messing with perfection, but the kid just took to that position extremely well, made plays all over the place doing all sorts of things, 
covering, intercepting the ball, like you said, making plays on special teams. He's good in run support. He rushes the passer. Uh, I remember feeling, you know, last year that at times I thought Minka was the best star we had put on the field since Javier Arenas played the position, right? you know, in his senior year. And, and so if, if – but for us to get away with playing Minka at star means someone has to step up at, at corner. And, you know, in the spring that was Anthony Averett. Uh, I, I was a little surprised that it was Averett. I think a lot of us sort of thought that maybe it would be Kendall Sheffield that made that move mm-hmm. in the spring. Right. And, and it ended up being Averett so far. Now we got a whole fall camp to go, and we'll see what happens. But uh, but maybe in uh, right before his junior year, the light came on. Averett's one of the fastest kids on the team. I mean, he, he's fast. Yes. He has really good hips. Uh, so I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, but – at pre-spring, I'd have said it was Kendall Sheffield, but it, but it really was Anthony that uh, that sort of I don't know if you want to call it one spot, but he, he certainly has put himself in a position to where he could be one of the uh, the key candidates for when we go to five defensive backs. And to go back to recruiting, uh, Thomas Fletcher, the best long snapper in America today, commits to Alabama. Brandon Ruiz earlier uh, a few weeks ago committed as the number one kicker out of Gilbert, Arizona. Nick Saban making a priority out of special teams, and that's what won the national championship for for the, for the better for, for the most part in the, against Clemson in the national title game. Still continuing to put an emphasis on it. Yes, and uh, one thing after uh, applaud Coach Saban has been consistent about giving scholarships to the specialists. He, he has really from day one. I know Carson Tinker was originally a walk-on that was later awarded a scholarship. Uh, but that Coach Saban has been very consistent about uh, recruiting the specialists, wanting the best specialists and awarding them with scholarships. Uh, to this point, it's really worked out, whereas I think, Drew, if you look at next season, there's very few teams, if maybe no team, that has as three good a specialists as Alabama has, and J.K. Scott, Cole Mazza, and, and, uh, and Adam Griffin probably together mm-hmm. as a three of maybe the best there is in college football. So, you know, will will Ruiz work out? Will will Fletcher work out? Uh, yet yet to be seen. But based on the decisions that we've made very recently at that position, you have to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, you really do. And then Wyatt Davis will be making his decision tomorrow from Bellflower High School in uh, or Bellflower, California, St. John Bosco High School. Uh, Alabama has been heavily involved with him throughout. He's really considered more of a guard. A lot of late buzz with Ohio State. So we will see where that goes. But the one thing we do know, Alabama's loaded on the interior as far as the O-line. But they should bring in two or three more offensive linemen to go with Elliott Baker and Alex Leatherwood. But they've got two good ones already, that's for sure. Yeah, the two guys committed are, are fantastic prospects. Uh, Leatherwood, I think, uh, is a good right tackle prospect. He's also a guy that could play guard. Uh, Baker's just more of a tackle-only guy. Uh in terms of how many more they'll sign all together, I don't know, maybe two more is what I would guess. But uh, Kendall mm-hmm. Randolph, the guy that, that, that I think most people would sort of automatically assume might end up on, on our commitment list just simply with his family connection being the younger brother of, of Levi Randolph. And Kendall's a very good prospect. He, he's a guy, much like Leatherwood, could play tackle, could play guard. Uh, you know, he's a guy, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't, necessarily project that Wyatt Davis will, will commit to Alabama, but uh, but it's possible. We've certainly been involved with him from uh, the very beginning and have one of our best recruiters uh, work in that situation and Tosh Lupoy. Yeah, we do. Alabama does. And then Austin Trossel from Madison Academy gives them a triumvirate of prospects. 
committing uh, to Auburn last weekend. I uh, grew up an Alabama fan, but, Jimmy, there was a lot of guys with Jonah Williams and Scott Lashley already down there. And and don't forget about Matt Womack, who redshirted. It's still a lot of potential for him. And then the two you brought up, Elliot Baker and Alex Leatherwood. It's a loss to the tide, but one that's manageable. Yeah. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever you, quote, lose a recruit, particularly to a rival, you know, it's going to raise – going to raise an eyebrow but you know you can only sign 25 there's way more than 25 good players that Alabama's recruiting uh we are sort of loaded at the tackle spot particularly (laughs) with two with two kids already committed and two guys that we 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 just signed in February that are both promising so uh you know and Leatherwood is a guy that can project the tackle as well so it it sort of makes sense Auburn uh, clearly has an easier path the starting lineup, maybe an easier path to, to play in time. That's going to be appealing to, to some kids who don't who don't care to wait in line for a while. But uh, so it's understandable. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a huge loss in the sense that, like almost all tackles, tackles are a really developmental type position. And the, the, you know, I hate using the word really, but the bust rate for for high school tackles is high. You, you, it's a tough position to project because uh, Madison Academy Austin's not playing guys every week. They're going to, he's going to be seeing in the SEC. I, I don't think we'll really know how good a prospect Austin is until he plays in some of these postseason all-star games and he's practicing every day against the type of kids he's going to see at the next level. But he's a good prospect. He's one Alabama would have liked to have signed, and, uh, and, and Auburn, uh, Auburn picked up a promising guy. And finally, Jimmy, and we thank you for taking the time to join us again uh, tonight here on BAMS Radio. But I thought a great point you made that I read this week was you said that Alabama's recruiting classes have gotten to the point uh, where they turn away five stars and they just select players. And you could make 25, uh, another top 10 class out of probably 25 kids that they turn away. Very, very uh, strong statement and really true in a lot of ways. I think I think it's an amazing statement to say it to the point that most people wouldn't believe that. You know, me and you follow it every day, and I'm not. I guess I'm not going to beg people to believe me, but I honestly believe that's true. It would be very difficult to prove, but I believe that every year uh, under Coach Saban, particularly the last, you know, since since '09, since 2010, right. I think if you took the 25 guys the best 25 guys that tried to commit to us that we didn't have room to take, that wanted to sign with us at one point, if you made that a recruiting class, it would it would be a top 10 class in the way that the classes are ranked by the big networks. Uh, I honestly believe that. And it's just absolutely incredible what uh, Coach Saban has accomplished on the recruiting trail. He's, in my opinion, the, the greatest recruiter in the history of college football, in my opinion. Uh, great way to end this BAMS radio episode. Well, Jimmy, we always appreciate the time. Let everybody know, of course, about your Twitter feed and uh, where uh, they can uh, listen to you and Luke Robinson. Yeah, you can just go to uh, the Talking Tuscaloosa podcast. Just uh, hit your Google buttons and type in Talking Tuscaloosa podcast. Luke and I do one. We try to do one once a week. Uh, every now and then in the summer, we might miss a week, but uh, most every week we'll have a new podcast and we just have one out this uh, this morning. There'll be a new one next week. Absolutely. And, of course, follow Jimmy at LJS Law for great opinions and Crimson Tide Insight. Thank you, Jimmy. We really appreciate it tonight. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. Roll Tide. And 
That will be the it for BAMS Radio from 7 to 9 tonight. We really appreciate everybody, especially the lovely Nikki Niebuhr, who has been uh, listening tonight for the first time to BAMS Radio. New listener as we continue to expand our audience. Uh, thank you for her for joining us. Uh, and, uh, and, Thomas, we really enjoyed it. Roll Tide to all our listeners out there. We hope you enjoyed the program. And, the, uh, you know, round number one of the NBA draft winding down. Hopefully we'll hear Retino Bastahan's name called tonight in round two. We'll talk to you again next Thursday. I'm your host, Rudy Armin. Roll Tide, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.